Okay, I want to give you a little and chip it of our time together in worship at the regional prayer and worship time. How many were with us that time? This is past Sunday. Okay, I know we had fewer people there this time because I think maybe the Ravens game was competing with it. And so those of you who skipped it for the Ravens game, how did you feel about the outcome of your choice? Bam! They got crushed. Woo! That's called the justice of the Lord. Just saying. Take a look. Here you go. Good evening! Are you excited to be here tonight? So we were very, very encouraged. Um, I've talked with the five other pastors. Yeah. I've talked with the other five other pastors, you know, and our plan now is to trust the Lord to go from six churches to 12 churches, from 12 churches to 24 churches, 24 churches to 48. You just keep filling in the blank, but, but there's only one church, amen? Yeah. One true church of Jesus Christ. And the beauty of what God is doing, which we never envisioned, it is not only the church is coming together, but cultures are coming together. And uh, it's just powerful, very, very powerful what the Lord is doing. So we want to encourage you, first of all, please keep praying for the regional work. Go to your altar regularly and cry out to Jesus that God would make us one as he is one. 
and that the region would be transformed for the glory of God. And then two, please support these events by coming. We're planning on another one after the first of the year. So once I meet with the team again, the pastors will continue to discern um, the Lord's will and we'll get back to you. But please do all you can to attend those events. Okay, um, and then so today we continue in our series called Growing Deeper Still. And I have a confession to make. The last two nights I've woke up about three o'clock in the morning and I've been awake for about two and a half to three hours. So I'm kind of loopy and a little tired, and I may say some things wrong, and you're just going to have to bear with me and grant me grace, okay? I'm going to pray for me, and I'm going to pray for you. And actually, you might want to hold a hand out and pray for me, too, because I need it. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you that your grace is sufficient for us because your power is made perfect in our weakness. Lord, I confess my weakness to you this morning. I am a tired vessel, but you are strong. You are mighty. You are God. And because you live in me and you live in us, you long to express yourselves to us in a way that sets us free, especially free from our fears. So, Lord, we ask now in the precious name of Jesus Christ that you would teach us, as only you can teach us, what it means to trust you more, to not only rest in you, but to take great risks in you for the cause of your kingdom. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. amen. So I may sit down every once in a while. I may fall down every once in a while. If I fall down, just somebody can prop me up and I'll keep talking, okay? So say this passage with me, please. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planning of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So we've been talking these last few weeks now about how we're like trees, and God longs for us to be deeply rooted in the soil of his love in such a way that we grow stronger and stronger and stronger. And after having done everything that we can stand, that we become strong in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the day where we need to grow strong, people of God. We must. The darkness is increasing. And as the darkness increases, I, I really have to say to you again, I believe only those that are deeply rooted in Christ will be left standing. So I pray in the name of Jesus that you would listen carefully to what he's saying to you and that you would follow him, for he alone is good. So we've talked about resting in God. Can you say this with me? We rest in God. Say that. So we can, in order to be, so we can be by others, found in God by others. That was relatively pathetic. We're going back. So here we go. Um, we, in, God. in order to, in God. so we can, so we can be, God. right, resting, risking, formed, and found, resting, risking, formed, and found. The resting and the risking are the roots, the formed and the found are the fruit. So when we rest in the Lord, last week we talked about resting in our identity in Christ. He's given us a completely new identity. We are deeply loved, fully pleasing, totally accepted, completely forgiven by God. So when we know these kinds of things and we truly let them steep into our souls and into our minds, then we rest in who we are in Him. Here's the truth. Your rejection may hurt me a little bit, but I'm 100% accepted by the Lord. So I have nothing to prove and I have nothing to fear. Can you say this after me? I have nothing to prove and I have nothing to fear. See, if you trust in the Lord and you rest in that truth, that truth will set you free.
See, the truth will set you free to live your life in faith, taking great risks for the cause of the kingdom. I don't know about you, but I long to live my life recklessly in love with Jesus. I want, to, I want my life to be such a light to the people around me that I do not hold back in fear. I want to be bold for the cause of Christ. I want to listen to him very carefully and follow his every prompting. Why? Because he's the only one worth living for. So risking in Jesus really is the same as saying that we have faith in Jesus. Now, I've said this to you before. You're exercising faith right now. You are sitting in your chair. Now, when you came in, you didn't think anything of it because some of you have sat in that same chair for the last 15 years. Now, we haven't been here 15 years. But you're like, i got to get my chair. But you put your full body weight into that chair and you're trusting it's going to hold you. That's faith. Now, faith is not mere intellectual assent to some idea. You can say, well, I believe that chair will hold me. I trust in the chair will hold me. Oh, what a beautiful chair. That chair is so strong. I know it will hold my weight. Somebody says, go sit down in it. Well, no, frankly, I'd rather not. Well, why not? Well, maybe I don't really trust it as much as I said I did. You see, faith is not only saying I believe, faith is actually transferring my belief into actions. James says, faith without works is is dead. Now look, we're not saying here, and you've got to understand something, when we talk about action in Jesus, we're not saying you act to be accepted. You are saved by grace through faith alone, not of works that no one can boast. So we're talking about trusting God, to take crazy action in God. We rest in His presence and His promises and His providence. And all the time we hold on to this new identity in Jesus Christ. We can trust God to take great risks. But it's really important that you understand this out of the gate. We do not risk in order to be accepted by God. We risk because we already are. You see, you're not risking so you can gain God's acceptance. You're not risking so God will love you. You're saying, God, I'm already accepted in you. I'm already loved by you by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now I'm going to live my life for you. And when you live your life for Jesus, you look radically different than the world around you. Get ready for rejection because the world around you does not live life like Jesus Christ does. That's why we nailed him to a cross. But that was his plan the whole time. Here's another way to put this. In Christ, God has taken care of your eternal risk so that you can continually now risk in him. You see, the final risk for you if you're in Christ is gone. Listen to these words. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Neither life nor death nor anything in all of creation will ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He said, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Can I tell you something? Jesus Christ took care of the final risk for you. And now you can live your life risking for him. Listen to these words from John Piper. He says, when the threat of death becomes a door to paradise, 
Listen, when the threat of death becomes a door to paradise, then the final barrier to risks on earth is broken. When a Christian says from the heart to live is Christ and to die is gain, he is now free to love no matter what. Listen, some forms of radical Islam may entice martyr murderers with similar dreams. But Christian hope is the power to love, not to kill. Christian hope produces life givers, not life takers. The crucified Christ calls his people to live and die for their enemies, just as he did. The only risks permitted by Christ are the perils of love. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. Follower of Jesus Christ, you are radically free to love others around you. You have been released to love. Remember our little meditation from last week? Because we're eternally loved and eternally secure, we have nothing to fear and nothing to prove. Our walk with Jesus, as we grow more and more in these truths, we become a priesthood and our roots grow deep into the soil of God's love and we become strong in faith and we live life differently than the world around us. Faith is like this multifaceted jewel. You can't just say that faith is acting and risking because faith is also believing and knowing. And you can't just say that faith is believing and knowing alone because faith is also seeing things from God's point of view. Listen to Hebrews 11, 1 and 2. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. If you want to learn about faith and risking, read Hebrews 11 called the Hall of Faith. Read that chapter. You'll learn a lot about how people of God risk for the kingdom of God. Listen to Ephesians 1.18. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be flooded with light so you can see the wonderful future that God has promised to those he called. Now listen, this scripture indicates that you now have eyes in your heart. You actually can see things with your heart that you could never see apart from Jesus Christ in your life. Now this means that you get to see people very differently than you've ever seen them before. Can you turn to the person next to you or somewhere around you and just say these words, you are a miracle. Say that. You're a miracle. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever stopped to look at a dog? I mean, really stopped to look at a dog and you go, what in the heck is that thing? That is a flipping miracle. It's moving around and it's smiling kind of at me and it's telling me, what is going on here? Who made that? That thing's incredible. It smells bad, too. But you know, a dog is an amazing creation of God. But you know what's even more amazing? The creation that's sitting in your seat right now. You're a miracle. And when you begin to understand how much God loves you and how precious you are, then you begin to understand how to love other people and show them how precious they are. Your eyes change. You see things with the heart of God. And God always sees people with eyes of love. Why? Because God is love. Can you say that with me? God is love. You see, He is love. 
And you have called to be a loving warrior for the cause of the kingdom of God. And you're to take great risks for him in loving every person around you in the midst of every circumstance because you now see them differently. Well, Jeff, I don't always see people that way. Well, of course you don't always see people that way. I don't either. Why? Because we get deceived. We get blinded. Now, what stands in the way of us loving? Sin? Absolutely. Anger? Well, yes, of course. Greed? Yes. How about corruption, deception, and lust? Yes, yes, yes. And the list could go on. But I propose to you that all of these things have something common going on at the roots of the tree. What's in the roots is one of the greatest illusions that stands in the way of us exercising faith and taking risks and loving people for the cause of the kingdom. Do you know what that illusion is? Do you know what keeps you from trusting God and following him in a way that you're living out the gospel? In one word, it's called fear. You and I become afraid, and we allow fear to control us rather than faith. Now, fear, you can think about these four little letters, and maybe in a little idea. I've given this many years ago, but false evidence appearing real. Can you say that with me? False evidence appearing real. Fear is false evidence appearing real. And fear is in contradiction to love. Listen to these words from 1 John 4. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Listen, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. How many of you get afraid? If you're not raising your hand, check your pulse, seriously. How many of you get afraid? Now, somebody's going, I don't get afraid. Yeah, now you're afraid to say that you're afraid. <laughs> I'm serious. This is what people, I don't ever get afraid. I'm not insecure. Oh, yes, you are. You're insecure about being insecure. Every single one of us has deep-rooted insecurities. Every single one of us gets afraid. And every single one of us allows fear to control us and keeping, keep us from loving people around us. Fear gets in the way of you being more like Jesus. Why? Because you're not taking risks. Now look, when you take a risk, you don't leave the rest of God. You're resting in God while you risk in God. The thing is, it feels like all your rest is gone when you risk. When you risk, however, it reinforces your rest and it makes you stronger so that you're now formed more fully in the image of Jesus Christ. So you can be found to a greater extent in God by others. The more you risk in Christ, the deeper your roots will grow. And the more you'll be formed to be like him. We'll talk about this in a little while. But love and fear are like oil and water. They don't mix. Listen. Faith is not the absence of fear. A lot of people think this. Well, I'll exercise faith when I get rid of my fear. No, you won't. Faith is doing what you know God wants you to do in the midst of your fears. You see, we're all going to feel afraid because the flesh does not want to die. The scripture says you have the spirit, which is at war with the flesh inside of you. So there's a battle going on inside of you. So anytime you're going to trust the spirit to love people the way that Jesus loves them, your flesh is going to scream like crazy. 
and you're going to feel fear. So today we're going to look at a story that's probably familiar to a lot of you. We're going to look at the story of spying out the promised land, when the Israelites spied out the promised land. And we're going to look at what happens when we see life through the eyes of fear as opposed to the eyes of faith. So this is in Numbers 13 and 14. You can turn there if you'd like. If not, then I'm just going to be reading from that. God, you know, promised to deliver the Israelites from Pharaoh. You do know that, right? He said, called Moses to that. Moses is at this thing. And so, gosh, he does this incredible deliverance, right? They part the Red Sea, and they're, they're walking away from Egypt now. They're, they're traveling away from Egypt. And, and uh, God has promised them at the end of this journey a land flowing with milk and honey. This is Canaan. And it's a land that's set apart for God's chosen people. Now, you have a land, too child of God. Now, you can, you can look at this a number of different ways. You've been given a promised land, which is heaven. However, you've also been given promises here on planet earth, so there is a formation and a promised land inside of each one of you. It's that portable sanctuary of the soul that we've been talking about so much, and you have a promised land right here on earth. It's your life with Christ. And you see, he's saying to them, all you have to do is go take the land. Go take it. It's already yours. I've set it apart for you. I've given it to you. Um, but you know, our land is really not a place. Our land is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. And that's who you're longing for in your heart of hearts. But just like them, we feel this resistance that causes fear when we're supposed to go take, lay hold of what God has for us. You see? So I'm going to read now from Numbers 13. And if you'd be kind enough to follow along with me. So the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. I've already given it to you. It's yours. But send some men to spy it out. Send from, from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran, all of their leaders with Israelites. These were their names. Now, I'm not going to read all their references, but what I am going to read, I'm going to read their names. And when I read their name, I want you to tell me if you've heard of this dude. The first one is Shamua. That's not the whale. Anybody hear Shamua? Okay, how about Shabbat? How about Caleb? Anybody ever hear Caleb? Just raise your hand if you've heard of these people. Caleb. How about Egal? How about Joshua? Yeah, how about Palti? Gadiel? Manasseh? Amiel? Sethar? Nabi? And Gul? So you heard of two dudes in a list of 12, Caleb and Joshua. Can I underline and highlight something? No one remembers the naysayers. Ten of these guys were naysayers, and two of them had faith. Who do you remember? The ones who had faith, Caleb and Joshua. There's ten other dudes here, and they didn't have faith. These were the names of the men Moses was sent. Moses, Mosua. <laughs> told you I was tired. These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, "Go out through the Nebaga, whatever that is, under the hill country. See what the land is like, and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled or, or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? How are the trees? What, does it? Do you do your best to bring back some fruit of the land?" It was the season for first ripe grapes. Hmm, love a grape. 
So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rohab towards Lebo Hamath. They went through the Negev and came to Hebron where the, uh, it's blah, 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 blah. And they built seven years before Zon. When they reached the valley of Eshgal, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Listen. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along with pomegranates and figs. If two of them are carrying a bunch of grapes, that is a big bunch of grapes. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. Can you imagine what it had been like for those guys to see those grapes? They would have went, whoo-hoo, praise you, God. Praise you, God. You've given us this land, and look at the grapes. Look at the fruit. Here's the report. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. And here's the fruit. But, at is a big but. But the people who live there are powerful. That was supposed to be funny. That's a big but. You guys but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Enoch there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Listen. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses, and he said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report. They spread among the county a bad report about the land that they explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there of great size. We saw the Nephilim, the descendants of Anak that came from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and they wept. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, and now here you can go ahead and take the back of your hand and put it against your head like this. Go ahead and do that. You know how you go, oh, oh. And they keep it there for a second. If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness in the desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? As they said to each other, we should choose a leader to go back to Egypt. Moses, you're fired. We should pick somebody who's going to give us what we want because we are scared spitless. And Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jehovah, whatever his name is there, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. That is a sign of deep grief to tear their clothes. And said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. So this is the voice of faith. You know what the verse, next verse says? But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Crush out the ones who are bringing faith. 
I'm going to stop there. If you're curious, I want you to read the rest of the story. You can read that on your own. Just go to Numbers and read through 13 and 14. But I want to give you a little summary. God promises an amazing place for his people. He promises a place of rest, a place of peace, a place that is fertile, a place of like abundance. And he just asks that they trust him and they go in and take it. That's all. Just go in and take it. Trust me. I've already prepared a way. Moses dispatches a group of dudes to go in and scope it out. And all but two of them don't want to take what God has already given them. They don't want to take what God has already given them. Why? Because the majority of these guys are seeing things through the eyes of fear rather than the eyes of faith. What can we learn from them? Well, what happens to us when we see things through the eyes of fear? Here's the first thing. We exaggerate our difficulties. We exaggerate our difficulties. We make our problems bigger than God. Listen, it's a magnificent land, but the people living there are large and powerful. Their cities are fortified, and they are large. And what's more, we saw Anakim giants there. The other spies said they'd crush us. So the majority report was negative. We exaggerate our difficulties. Now, here's the amazing thing. God had just delivered this same group of people from Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world, and yet now they're worried about a little local tribe. How forgetful we are. They had just defeated Pharaoh by the grace of God, and now they're worried about the Canaanites? When you look at your problems with the eyes of fear, child of God, your problems just get bigger and bigger, and bigger, and bigger. And they seem insurmountable, and they get exaggerated in such a way that you think it's impossible for God to actually do that for you. You see, I have to confess to you that in preparation for this message, I've been experiencing some fear myself. That's what's kept me awake the last two nights. As I woke up, I'm actually struggling for about three hours of the night with some fear. And you know what I had to do? I had to go into battle with the Lord. Now, it's just an issue that I've been wrestling with in my life, having to do with some personal relationships, and it would wake me up, and I start thinking about it, and I start thinking about it. Anybody with me at all? You start thinking about it in the middle of the night, and you're like, I can't shut this off. Now, I got to tell you, this is new for me, because I sleep, man. I love sleep. Anybody love sleep? It's just so good. And I hardly ever get woken up in the middle of the night with anything. Ask Tracy. The dogs bark. She hears them and gets up. I don't hear them. I got hearing gaze. I just pull these suckers out. It's beautiful. <laughs> but, you know, I don't usually wake up in the middle of the night. And if I do, I go right back to bed. I take a trip to the bathroom and go right back to bed. But the last couple nights, for some reason, the Lord has allowed for me to be woken up in fear. What do you know? And you know what I've had to do? I had to go to the Lord. Because after 15 minutes of laying there, I'm going, I ain't going back to sleep unless I go to the Lord. i got to get home anyway, so I'm laying there talking to him. But I had to be far more intentional. And i got to go to him, and i got to say, this problem, this person, this interpersonal thing, God, it is no way, no way bigger than you are. You are so much bigger than my little puny problem. And God, this is in your capable hand. I can trust you with this. So I go to his word, and I go in the spirit to prayer. And then you know what happens? I start feeling the peace of God, and then I'm able to go back to sleep, which I love. Anybody say amen? 
But see, what happens is we, we allow this fear to creep in, and then we, we start to make our problems bigger than they really are. One person criticizes you, you think the whole world's criticizing you. Remember, I used to, when I used to teach, I used to teach in smaller groups long, many, many years ago, and I would teach a room full of 50 people. And you know what? I have 48 people that were actually following me and tracking with me and being edified in the glory of God for the glory of God. And there's two dudes in the back sitting with their arms crossed like this, and they're naysayers. Who do you think I focus on? Those two dudes. Why? I'm giving them way too much power, and I'm afraid. And I think somehow I need to have their acceptance. And all of a sudden, I think, well, nobody loves Jeff. Say, oh, poor Jeff. You see that? I'm having a little pity party. That's what we do. We have these little pity parties, and we go to these places where we think that, that somehow our problems are bigger than they are. I want to point out something to you. It says in the scripture here that the majority report of the spies was negative. Can I point out something to you? The majority report is almost always negative. The majority report is almost always negative. Anybody who's going to get something done in this world through faith is going to have to go against the majority report. Why? Because the majority of people are going to be looking at things through the eyes of fear. Rather than the eyes of feet. They say, we see these people, they crush us. The word here actually is a call, which means to eat up, like devour us. They're going to eat us alive. They're like cannibals. They're bullies. They're tyrants. They're NFL linebackers. They're going to take us out. We're going to get crushed. Only two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, and yet so many other people trust the majority report because there's always more worriers and fearful naysayers than, and more critics than there are people of faith. you got to accept this. You, you, if you want to wait for the majority to walk in faith, you're going to be waiting a long time. Here's the problem, too. Negative attitudes are contagious. They spread very quickly. You know, when they walked up to the edge, everybody saw that fruit, and I'm sure that everybody was excited about taking the promised land. But it only takes 10 people to come back and say, we can't do it, and then everybody changes their mind, and they become infected with a negative and fearful attitude. Fear is contagious, but so is faith. So is faith. Here's what's ironic. You know, the place is filled with giants. We can't take them on. They're too big for us. They're too powerful. But ironically, 38 years later, and even before this, when the next generation did go in to take the promised land, you know what the enemy said? We have lived in panic for 40 years because we have heard about the 10 plagues of Egypt. We've heard about what your God had done through the most powerful leader in the word, Fowler. And we were scared to death of you, and we were ready to surrender. Can you believe that? Because they had already heard of what had happened in Egypt. Canaanites were already ready to surrender. And yet the Israelites would not go in because of fear. Why? Because fear exaggerates and makes your problem bigger than God. So let me ask you a question. What problem in your life are you making bigger than God? What problem in your life have you said, well, it's just impossible. That's never going to change. What problem in your life do you get fearful about? What problem in your life do you allow to control you and drown out your faith? See, what happens is we exaggerate our difficulties, but not only that, we underestimate our abilities in Christ. 
You see, the scripture, everybody knows this, right? In Christ, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It says here, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. We looked the same to them. We not only exaggerate our problems, but we underestimate our abilities in Christ. Now, we got to talk about esteem, what we say about God esteem. It's not so much about high self-esteem or low self-esteem. It's about realistic esteem. It's trusting God. He lives in you. These guys are saying they're a bunch of bugs compared to these guys. This is God's chosen people. They are not a bunch of bugs. They're God's chosen people. They are the sons of God. Notice they say we saw others like, our, like grasshoppers in our own eyes. So we look the same to them, they said. How did they know what they looked like to the enemy? They didn't. They just did something that's called projection. We tend to project our fears onto everyone else around us, and then we start to think that everybody else is thinking the same thing that we're thinking about ourselves. This is called projection. They had been slaves for hundreds of years. They had been freed now for 40, but they're still mentally enslaved, and the condition is that they see themselves as helpless. That means they're still enslaved. They're not enslaved to Pharaoh anymore, but now they're enslaved to too small of a concept of who God is. Many years ago, people probably said things about you. You might have heard them. They might have said them behind your back and you overheard them. People have spoken into your lives and they've given you negative prophetic words from the evil one. They've said things to you like, oh, you're just super uncoordinated. You'll never be able to move. Or, or you're not good at speaking or you're not a very good singer. You shouldn't even sing in church because, boy, you sound really bad. People have said things to you that have ripped you down. You see, they've spoken words into you, and the reason why you don't move in a particular area is because you've had some negative deception spoken into your life, and that is what you call a self-imposed prison. You're no longer in Egypt. You are free to move. But some of you say, no, 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 these guys are giants. It doesn't matter how big they are. They're not even close to how big God is. See, when we see things with the eyes of fear, we first overestimate the problem. Second, we underestimate our abilities in Christ. And third, we get discouraged. We get discouraged. So some of us fall into a pit of despair and we start having a big pity party. Poor us, and now they're crying and weeping and they only go into the promised land. What's keeping them there? Their fear is what's keeping them from going into the promised land. When fear gets control you get discouraged and you start falling into despair. And you say things like this, what's the point? There's just no hope. And can I tell you something? For a child of God, that is never true. Why? You have access to the throne. You can approach the throne room of God with confidence to find help in your time of trouble, the scripture says. You have access to God. It is never true for you that you don't have hope. You always have hope in Christ. But see, what happens is so many of us fall into that place of despair and we start thinking, well, this will just never change. Well, you know what? That other person might not ever change. That circumstance might not ever change. But you know what can change? You. And the way that you see it and the way that you move in whatever circumstance you're talking about. I always tell people, yes, it takes two people to make a relationship work but it takes one person to change it. 
Will you be that person? Will you be that person to actually bring Jesus into the relationship that's struggling? You see, what's going to keep you from doing that is fear. I can guarantee you this. But what happens is you get discouraged, and then you start to complain. You gripe about your life. Anybody good at complaining in here? Don't throw the elbow. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. We wish we had died in Egypt, they wailed, or even there in the wilderness. Do you believe that? They want to go back into slavery rather than face their fears. And that's exactly what you and I do. You see, our fear will drive us back into a place of slavery. We're now under a heavy yoke, and we're not experiencing the freedom that God called us to live in. Why? Because we're afraid. And you know what? We become critical and we start complaining. Can I tell you something? Highly critical people are always the most insecure people on the face of the earth. If you're a highly critical person, I want you to take that to the bank. The reason why you're complaining so much and you're finding fault with all the people around you is because you are deeply insecure and your life is being dominated by fear. And so what happens is you become very insecure and now you feel like you have to feel better by trying to criticize everybody around you. And that kind of stuff is contagious. You see, what drives us often is fear. And we complain and then we go quickly to this point where we just give up and blame God. They say, why is the Lord bringing us to this land to be killed by the sword? Wouldn't we be better off going back to Egypt? You see where they ultimately put the blame? They went, God, what are you doing? Did you ever say that to God? I hope you're honest enough to say, I've said that to God before. God, what are you doing here? What in the world are you thinking? Now, God's big enough to take that. But he says, look, all I was thinking about your freedom and the reason why you're struggling right now is because you are being held captive by fear. But I'm the one who set you free from that, Jeff. So you got to take a risk. you got to walk in faith so that you can experience the freedom that I long for you to have. And Jeff, you can enter the land that I've already prepared for you. See, they start blaming God. God's not the one who's holding them back. Their fear is what's holding them back. They're second-guessing what God said. All of a sudden, they're remembering the good old days of Egypt. The good old days? Really? Some of us do the same thing. We reflect on the good old days. You aren't the good old days. The best days are ahead of us if we trust God. A lot of people get stuck in safe slavery. You see, they're enslaved in a relationship that they shouldn't be in. They're enslaved by fear. They're enslaved with a habit, like a compulsion they're enslaved by. Why, why are they afraid of giving it up? Because they're afraid of giving it up. They don't trust God. They're, they're afraid, so they're enslaved by some kind of habit or some kind of predictable behavior pattern. And even though they're miserable, at least they're comfortable in their misery. You do not know what you do not know. And so most of the time what we get afraid of is the unknown. Well, I'm just so comfortable here. I know it's not great. But maybe it's all I can have. So you continue to complain. You gripe and occasionally you blame God. You give away all your power to the people around you. 
And God made you to be a risk taker. Don't die in the desert. He made you to live your life for Him. And so you got to step of faith. And when you risk, what happens is you realize that faith, your faith, will open the door for miracles in your life. I can guarantee you this. Miracles will happen in your life. Now look, the world around you might not even notice these miracles. But can I tell you that when you trust God and you take a risk of faith for the cause of His kingdom and you obey Him, can I tell you that angels in heaven rejoice? That's called your repentance. You are turning from your fear to the face of God. And you are following Jesus Christ. Jesus said, have faith in God. If you have faith in God and you don't doubt, you can tell this mountain to get up and jump into the sea, and it would. Whatever you ask for in prayer will be yours, if only you have faith. And Jesus said in Matthew 9, 29, according to your faith, it will be done to you. So what are some of the miracles that occur when you take risks and trusting Jesus? Well, first of all, your problems shrink to their appropriate puny size. Can I tell you, that's what happened the last two nights for me when I got up with the Lord and I wrestled with him. I'm praying with him. And like an hour or two hours later, what happens is all these things just to fart, start to fall. Not fart. Sorry. That's a really bad slip. <laughs> Scratch it. We're doing the 11, Jesse, just so you know. So they start to fall into their proper puny perspective. That was a hard thing to say, proper puny perspective. You see, what happens is these things become small in the light of him. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Genesis 18, 4 says, and Luke 1, for nothing is impossible with God. You see, what happens is these things start to take their proper perspective in light of who He is. What also happens is that faith turns our God-given dreams into reality. Glory be to God, who by His mighty power at work within us is able to do far more exceedingly immeasurably more than we could ever dare to ask. And faith gives me the power to hold on in tough times. Every single one of us has wind blowing in our life that we didn't bring about ourselves. But, but faith allows us to run headlong into that wind. Listen to what Paul says here. We are pressed on every side by troubles. We are crushed but not broken. We are perplexed but we don't give up and we'll quit. We're attacked but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down but we get up and we keep going. How? By the grace of God. We trust Him. And God loved the people of this world so much that he gave his only son so that everyone who has faith in him will have eternal life. Perhaps the greatest miracle that happens when you walk in faith is this. God changes your character. He makes you a new person in him. But this requires that you jump. <laughs> I'm going to show you my favorite illustration. I know many of you have seen this before, but this is just the one that always works for me, so I'm just going to continue to bring it. I got this from a book called The Marriage Builder by Larry Crabb, really brilliant psychologist. He's home with the Lord now, but he was brilliant in the way that he approached relationships. And he said, look, whenever you're going to exercise faith in loving somebody else, you have an option. You're standing on what's called the cliff of safety. And there it feels very, very safe to you because it's customary to you. You know that area, you know that territory, and you're standing on the cliff of safety. Now God says, I want you to jump. I want you to jump. And you say, no, not a chance. He says, look, I promise you, I will have my strong rope of love around your waist to sustain you. So when you jump, I will catch you. I will catch you. 
And that fear of rejection that you have in your heart, it will go away. I promise you, I will catch you. But you have to jump to know my love in this way. Why? Because as long as you're standing on the cliff, there's slack in the rope. You know, in your safe place, you don't have to trust the love of God so much because, you know, frankly, I'm okay. I'll just be okay here, Lord. He says, no, 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 no. I want you to grow deep, so you must jump. So when you jump, however, there's always a moment of panic when the slack is being taken up in the rope. Why? You are now free-falling, son of God, daughter of God. The slack is being taken up in the rope, and there's always this feeling in your gut like, what? am I doing? Anybody with me? Now look, (laughs) it looks here like the rope is around that person's neck, (laughs) which is what it often feels like. When you jump, you're going to feel panic. You're going to feel fear. When you trust God, you are going to feel fear, but your feelings are not your master. Jesus Christ is. So maybe you've been locked in a cold war with your spouse for about five years, five months, or five weeks. And God's saying, be the first one. Reach out. Show her you love her, son of God. Be gentle with her at the breakfast table. Ask her, ask her for, for forgiveness. Show her love, and you go, I ain't going to do that. She's got to do it first. Now, what's holding you in that place? It's called fear. You've forgotten who you are. You're a son of the Most High God. You're called to love regardless of whether you're loved back. What are you afraid of? You're afraid of rejection. You're afraid of that person not knowing that they've wronged you. Let go. Trust the Lord and jump. Maybe you've been holding on to a secret sin. And maybe you know the Lord's been calling you to confess this sin to somebody around you who can be an image bearer for the grace of God for you. And yet you're holding back. Can I encourage you to jump? It's going to scare you. Absolutely, it's going to be scary. You may shake and tremble like crazy, but God's love will sustain you. And then you'll go, oh my gosh, my faith has increased. And you'll dance a little lighter. You'll do a little jig. And you'll go, I want to do that again. And God says, I got a higher cliff for you. You go, wait, can we just get used to that one? No, you have to grow. So I want you to jump. You see, so the cliff altitude goes up, but the love of God will always sustain you. Always. Look, I want to tell you about my recent jumping because as I've been preparing this series, God has done a lot of work in me. And um, Tracy and I were probably about three months ago, we were on a little journey to, we'd been doing little outings. We'd go away for two or three days at a time, and this one was in Gettysburg. And um, we were... Loving our time in Gettysburg, and we were on the square there. If people were any familiar with the square in Gettysburg? Anybody ever been around these little statues? You see these guys here, they're bronze. They're in the square. Now, I had been sitting in the Starbucks across the street with my lovely wife, enjoying some time together, and I was reading this little book by Mother Teresa called A Simple Path. It's actually not by her, but it's about her by somebody else. And I had been praying my heart goal, which is quiet and confidence. Remember, I am called quiet and confident one now. 
by the grace of God. That's what I'm growing in. That's my goal from my heart, to become more and more confident in the Lord and to have this quiet place in my soul that is never defiled and never shaken. That's what I'm longing for in me. That's my heart goal. I hope you have a heart goal. And so God's calling me to that, and I'm reading this little book, and I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord, this woman's life was just so beautiful for the cause of your kingdom. I mean, this guy that wrote this book went to her and said, I'd like to write a book about your life. She was like, well, I don't know how many words you'll need. She said, I just pray and love people. That's all I do. She said, how are you going to put that in your book? And he said, well, I'm sure we can say more than that. She said, that's all I do. And I'm like, well, that's all I want to be. I want my life to be simple. I just want to be in communion with you, God, and I just want to love people for the cause of your kingdom. I'm like, that's what I want to do. God, it's simple. And so I'm, pr- I'm praying and I'm reading this little book, and then we walk across the square, and there's a bunch of people mulling around the square. Most of them are, are like us, you know, middle-class people who are enjoying the town and so on and so forth. So we start cutting up in front of these statues. We're taking pictures right? And so Trace and I, she snaps one of me, I snap one of her, and uh, this is when she snapped at me. And then these other people who are mulling around the town, they start joking around with us because we're having fun. So they're taking pictures of Tracy, taking pictures, and we're all laughing. And this moment, I was laughing because it was just a lot of joy around us. There were a lot of people gathering around. I thought this was really cool. But then I looked to my right, and not 10 to 15 feet off my right, I caught the eye of a woman. She was morbidly obese. She had bags all around her. She had suitcases. And I could smell her from where I was. But when I I caught her eye, I swear I saw Jesus. I swear I saw Jesus. And time just seemed to stop. I looked at her and all I felt was compassion and love. And honestly, I can't tell you, I don't know how it happened, but it was like in a split second, I found myself seated on the the bench next to her with my arm around her. And I still to this day don't know how it happened. It was just the glory of God. And, And I just, I sat down next to her and I looked her in the eyes and I said, is there anything we can do for you? And she started to cry. And the Shekinah glory of the Lord was all around us And I said, honey, what's your name? She said, my name's Sue. I said, Sue, "Sue, can you tell me your story? So Tracy came over and we started talking to Sue. And Sue had had her neck broken by her ex-husband. He had hit her over the head with a baseball bat. And she had had travail after trail and trial after trial in her life. And it had landed her homeless and almost unable to move. But she had met Doug, her husband, who now was out getting them some lemonade, and he was going to be back in just a minute, and she called Doug her hero. Why? Because one time she fell when she was working at Walmart, and he jumped the counter to help her up off the floor. She said, he's my hero. He's my husband. And we found out that Doug and Sue had been homeless and living in the park for about seven years. So I I just, I felt like God was saying, jump. I said, so Honey, I said, what can we do for you? And she said, I, I would just really love a shower. She said that through tears. I would just really love to have a shower. So I said, I looked at Trace because I wanted to confirm this. I said, well, honey, I think we're going to try and get you a shower. And she said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, is there a hotel locally that we can get you a shower? And she said, and Doug's standing there too. And he said, well, yeah, there's one down there. And I said, well, can we meet you down there? And she said, I can't hardly walk. And all of a sudden, I thought, I can't put these people in my car. That was my flesh. You know why? Because I have a new car. 
It's a 2018 RAV4 and I kind of like it. And it doesn't smell. It smells nice. These people smelled bad. Their bags smelled bad. I was worried about lice. I was worried about fleas. I started thinking about all this stuff in my head. And you know what that was? That was my flesh trying to do war with the Spirit of God. And guess who won? The Spirit of God. Because Tracy and I just said, come on, we're going to put you in our car. So we picked up all their bags. They were numerous, believe me, like 20 of them. And their suitcases. And we, we walked them to our rab and we threw them in the car. And we drove to the hotel together. And we had the most delightful conversation with Sue and Doug. And I found out that he had been a PK. And his dad was a, a Baptist pastor. And I found out things about Sue. And we fell in love with him. And we took him to the hotel and, 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 you know, we, we got them like four nights in the hotel. And when they went to their room, they were like kids in a candy store. Can I tell you that? And can I tell you this? I, I said to Sue, can I give you a big hug? And she said, sure. Like, and I gave her this big hug. And I just loved doing it. I said, Doug, can I give you a hug? He's like, dude, I smell so bad. I said, I don't give a rip. Just come give me a hug. Just give me a hug. And can I tell you that when they went up to their room, I just stood there. And there are people all standing around us at the hotel watching this. There were people in the square all standing around us watching this. I didn't even know people were watching this until we kind of woke up out of this beautiful, divine experience. And can I tell you something? I looked at my wife and I said, did you feel alive doing that? She said, I want to do that every day. I want to do that every day. I want to love people for the glory of God every day. So we drove home. Went back to our little place in Gettysburg there. And I thought, man, that car smells really bad. And I'm driving home and thinking, oh, I'm just going to have to get up tomorrow morning and fumigate the car. I have to do something. I'll find something to clean it out. I don't care. God called me on this thing. I tell you, I woke up the next morning. I went down to the car to load our bags and I threw up the hatch. And you know what I smelled? Flowers. I smelled a fragrance that I believe to this day was from heaven. And can I tell you, when I threw that hatch open, it was saying, God, this is a fragrant offering to me. You have trusted me, and you have jumped in me, and you have taken a risk in me, and I am pleased with your faith. How about you? Some of you will say, Jeff, it's so wonderful that you and Tracy would love people like Sue and Doug. You got it wrong. We are people like Sue and Doug. And God, in his sovereignty and in his grace and his deep love, looked upon us and he said, I will save you. And I will give you a place to stay in me. And I will show you loving kindness and peace for the cause of my covenant, because you are my child. And he asked us to do the same. He asked us to go out and tell people, you're forgiven, you're loved, you're valuable, you can trust God. And we don't tell them that, we show them that, and then we tell them that. We show them in the way that we love them. The question set before you and me is, will we tell, take the risks necessary to go? Can I tell you how my character has changed since that occurrence? I am walking up to people everywhere. Can I tell you, like, I mean, I used to do some of this before, but not to the extent I'm doing this now. I don't. I'm more like our brother Ron here. I'm just going up, which is like, Jesus, it's beautiful. I'm just going up and saying, hi, how can I make your life easier today? Like, Hi, is there something I can do for you? Hey, my name's Jeff. Who are you? You know, we did this, when we were in Nashville, we did this a bunch. We had this guy, Jim. He was in a, a, live, um, a bookstore at a college, and he was homeless. 
And he was just sitting there because he was trying to get out of the cold or warm or whatever it was in Nashville at that time. And so I walk up to Jim. Tracy's seeing me. She knows exactly what I'm doing. I sit down with him. I start a conversation with him. And at one point, she comes over. We sit down together. And I said, Jim, can we pray for you? He said, I love that. So I laid hands on Jim, and I prayed for him. And I stopped. And he goes, hey, can I pray for you guys? I'm like, that'd be awesome, dude. Well, I didn't know how awesome it would be. You know why? He stood up. He laid hands on us. And he started praying in the name of Jesus super loud in the bookstore. Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus. He's saying all this stuff. Please bless my brother and sister. And the whole bookstore starts looking at us. And I'm like, this is really uncomfortable, God. (laughs) I didn't really want to sign up for this part. He's like, just wait till you get to the checkout counter. I got there and the sneers and the, oh my gosh, people just like looking at us with disgust. And Jesus was glorified. You see, obedience begets obedience. Faith begets more faith. Once you start walking this way, you realize that risking is your way of life. Why? Because Jesus took care of your greatest risk ever. He's given you a home with him forever. You have nothing to prove and you have nothing to fear. God is on your side and he is with you always and he will never leave you nor forsake you. And you are now free to love in a radical and crazy way. As I ask the worship team to come back out today, I want to challenge you. You got to understand this. You're already forgiven. You're loved. You're valuable. You can trust God. In Christ, you can take great risks. So I want you to consider this. I want you to consider what risk God might be putting before you. Sometimes the greatest risk is just to bring your insides outside. Just to start getting honest about who you are and where you are. Maybe you have a sin that you need to confess. Maybe you have to have a relationship that you need to make right. Maybe you have a person to love, and despite the fact that they are not loving you, you're called to love them. Maybe there's a person that you need to pray with. Maybe there's someone you need to share the gospel with. Maybe there's a step that you need to take to engage more fully, like serving here in Grace Kids, joining the Adopt Block team, the Harvest. I don't know what it is, but maybe there's a risk that you need to take where God is saying to you, jump. And you've known what this risk is now, maybe for a long time, maybe you just heard it from God. I want to encourage you. God's ready for you. His strong rope of love is around your waist, but you won't feel him sustaining you until you jump. So I'm asking you today, will you make a commitment to jump and risk for the glory of God? Or will you continue to let fear exaggerate your problems and incapacitate you and make you long for Egypt? Lord God, we come before you now and we ask in the precious name of Jesus Christ that you would make us people who are fearless in you. That you would make us people who jump readily and regularly in you. That we would be taking risks for the glory of God, that our homes and that this region and our neighborhoods would be transformed because of who you are in us. And God, when everything good happens, when anything good happens, because of our faith, help us to give all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise to you and to you alone. For you, Jesus, alone are our only hope.
Thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. We pray this all in your precious name and all God's people said. I'd like to encourage the prayer team to come forward. I'd like everybody to stand. And if you're faced with a risk, something you believe God is calling you to take, I want to encourage you to come forward and let one of these precious people pray with you because this is what they do. This is what we do. We're here to lift you up to the Lord. We have no greater honor than being able to pray for you and to cry out to Jesus for you. Let's sing together.